0: You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We're in a brand new series. And this series is called Headlines. And I want you to know that as you think of the new year, you think of my future. You know, the future starts now. People say that kind of thing all the time. The future starts right now. It's going to be in the grade, And you might think, hey, it's a new year. It's a new series. There are new possibilities. And maybe for you, you're thinking there's possibilities at work. Maybe there's a promotion. Maybe you're going to have a new roommate. Maybe there's some dating possibilities on your horizon. Maybe for you, as you look at the new year, you're like, there's possibilities. Get my grades higher instead of where they were last fall. You've got some possibilities in front of you, and when you look at that, you got to realize that the future is fun, but the future can be intimidating. The future can be exciting, and the future can bring uncertainty. The time that this book of 1 Peter that we'll be looking at today was written, and if you want to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, We're gonna start with verse one, but as we look at the season around which the book was written, one of the things that you gotta realize is that these people had started to undergo persecution by the Roman Empire. Here's how it worked. Christ had died on the cross. He'd been buried in the grave. He rose to new life. He's ascended to heaven. And now the church launches out and the church has been going for quite a few years. But where there was once openness and religious diversity in the Roman Empire, there now becomes incredible persecution, and here's how that persecution came about. Nero was the emperor of Rome, and as emperor of Rome, he could, people would look at him like a deity, he could do what he wanted, and one of the things he wanted to do in his lust for building that you would see all throughout the Roman Empire during his reign is he wanted to rebuild Rome. The only problem is that Rome existed. Rome had existing buildings, and he wanted to start with a clean slate. So the Roman people very much understood at the time that Nero lit Rome on fire. And during that year, Rome burned to the ground. And with the backlash of the people who lost jobs, who lost their houses, who lost their infrastructure, they were incredibly angry. So Nero did what any good leader would do of a Roman Empire time who declared himself as God, he blamed the Christians. And so the backlash was huge. Not only did he from a state side institute persecution of Christians, but the public backlash for the burning of Rome started to work its way throughout the Roman Empire. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, they now faced huge opposition. The future didn't look so bright, and they were wondering what in the world they had to live for beside the mouth of lions. And it wasn't looking so good. And people got to understand, people not only had this huge backlash against the burning of Rome, because of course they lost their businesses, of course they lost their homes, but more importantly, they lost their temples. They lost their religious heritage. They lost their places of worship. And at that time, you'd have this religious backlash in addition to an economic backlash against the Christian people. And it started to work its way all throughout. And so here comes Peter, and he's writing to Christians, to believers who now are facing a brand new hostility, a brand new persecution, And and writing to those who encourage those who profess Christ as Lord. Now, one of the things that's interesting is Peter wasn't exempt. It's not like he was writing from a very safe place. Tradition tells us that Peter watched as his own wife was crucified. And he encouraged her with the words, remember the Lord Jesus as she was being crucified. Later, after 1 Peter and 2 Peter were written, tradition tells us that Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like the Lord Jesus. So if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. And tradition tells us that, in fact, he was crucified upside down shortly after writing the book of 2 Peter. And so today, we're going to look at a guy who's looking at the future, a guy who's looking ahead and saying, what on the world do you and I have to live for? This series is going to teach you and me to live victoriously in the midst of hostility without losing hope without becoming bitter about troubles while trusting in the Lord as we wait for his second coming and Peter's going to convince you and he's going to convince me that by living an obedient and a victorious life under while under duress you can actually evangelize a hostile world that you can actually as you're being persecuted God will leverage that to evangelize those who are lost. That's what Peter's going to convince you and me. In other words, he's going to say, I want you to make a trade. I want you to trade the ashes, not of Rome, but the ashes of persecution for a future that starts now, for a living hope. And if you have your Bible, open with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes, by the way, this was one of his disciples. The very Peter who walked on water with Jesus for a little while till he started to doubt and he started to go under. This is the, the Peter who denied Christ three times when the rooster crowed. Jesus looked at him after predicting he would deny him three times and Peter ran away and wept. This is the Peter who preached the first gospel message at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and he preached a message and 3,000 people were saved on that day. This is that Peter. So he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, if you're reading this letter, you're saying this is a time that is short on grace. People are not gracious. This is a time when we are short on peace. Peace is, this is not a time of peace. But he's saying, listen, grace and peace be to you in abundance, not just a little bit, but actually a lot. If you look back at verse 2, it actually shows us the plan of salvation and the Trinity's role in it. If you look back at verse 2, you're going to see the three parts of the Trinity. You're going to see you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of who? God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the? help me out here, right, to be obedient to who? Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood. So it gives us this picture that here's the God, God who's one in essence, but is revealed in three distinct persons or parts. You see all three of those parts, God one in essence, his work regarding your salvation. Well, what's the purpose and the point of the holy spirit's work in setting us apart for right living they use the word sanctifying and the word sanctifying is a big word that really just means you were set apart you're set apart you're, you're no longer along with the masses who are headed to destruction. You're no longer a part of what everybody else does. You're no longer a part of just living by the flesh like everybody lives, but now you have the opportunity to resist the flesh and live according to the spirit. You, you are taken out of what everybody else and everything else does, and now you are set apart for right living. You are set apart for holiness. You're, you're special. You're reserved. You're And he sets you apart. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us so that we can obey Jesus Christ. He sets us apart so that we have the opportunity to obey. Now, I want to be very clear here. Some of us grow up in the church and we begin to think that the better we obey, that the more we're accepted by God. And what I want to let you know is your acceptance by God is based on Christ on the sprinkling of his blood on you. That's a picture from the Old Testament. What they would do is if they were dedicating, let's say a table that was gonna be used in the temple, they would sacrifice an animal and they would take a little branch and they'd dip it in the blood and they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the table and that would set it apart for holy use in the temple. That's how they dedicated items. But it came at the cost of blood. What it's saying is because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, in essence, figuratively, his blood that poured out has been sprinkled now on you. You're a valuable, useful vessel in the kingdom of God. Your acceptance by God is based on Christ's sacrifice, not on your performance. But let me tell you, when we understand just how great our salvation is, we want to respond back to Christ's sacrifice with obedience, and we've got to have the Holy Spirit help us, because we just don't want to obey on our own, and so we need God's work on the inside. We need God's foreknowledge. We need Christ's sacrifice, and we need the Holy Spirit helping us to obey Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, I too will love them and show myself to them. What do we learn? As we obey Christ, he makes himself more real to you. That as you and I obey him, he shows himself, who he really is, what he really is like, what he really wants. The intimacy of our relationship draws closer. He reveals himself to you. He said this in John 14, 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's a forecasting of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in us that God is with us and it's not just Jesus who was with the disciples but later ascended and left but that God would be with you and I always. Never leave us, never forsake us but that we'd have God with us. Now, you and I can't obey commands that we don't know. If you think to yourself, well, what would Jesus do in this situation, but you're not in God's word to actually have an idea of what Jesus might do or what God's will is in your life, then you know you need to be in God's word because as you're in his word, that's where it's gonna be revealed to what we obey. And some people look at this book as a list of rules and you're like, I just don't wanna read more rules because ignorance is bliss. Like if I don't know, then I can't be held accountable, which isn't true that would be ignorant thinking, wouldn't it? But rather we say, we look at God's word to understand the will of God, and then we want to walk and live in the will of God. Why? Because it's pleasing to him. Because when you and I live in the will of God, it brings praise and honor and glory to him, not to us. Not saying we're such a good person again. We're only good in that Christ died for us. He goes on and says this, and Chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. By the way, this is the theme verse for the entire book. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is revealed to be revealed in the last time. This is the picture that God says, I'm gonna give you a deposit, I'm gonna give you a living hope. Your living hope goes beyond your physical life. Your living hope goes beyond your time on earth. And there's going to be a deposit of the Holy Spirit that guarantees what is awaiting for you, that there's something to live for, something to look forward to in the future. The message version really describes that verse very, very well. Look with me on the screen. that says this, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. His impression is in the face of horrible circumstances, in the face of being more misunderstood by culture than Christians have ever been misunderstood potentially, he's saying, You've got so much to live for. And when we say, What do you have to live for? It's an interesting question. You might remember from The Princess Bride that Mad Max asked Wesley, who's been tortured almost to death, nearly dead what do you have to live for? And he puts some air in him and he pushes on the stomach and he, and he says, true love. To which Mad Max said, no, he said to, bl- to bl- blame, which means to bluff. And Carol Kane runs out and is like, liar, liar, right? And she chases him around, right? And, and we, we ask this question, what do you have to live for? And, and if you are in despairing circumstances, you and I begin to ask, what do I have to live for? Because when we ask that question, we're really saying what do I have to live forward? You're not asking that question based on your past experiences and your accomplishments. You're saying, as I look ahead, do I have meaning? Do I have significance? What about the uncertainties of life? What about the uncertainties of my health? What about the condition of our culture? You're gonna say, what am I living forward? That's what you're really asking. And no matter what life throws at you, Peter is saying, you have so much to live for. Because of new life through Jesus, the future starts now. So you're willing to look at the future even in the midst of horrible circumstances. And that's what he wants to convince you and me of that because of Jesus, we have everything to live for. We have a living hope. So he's not saying uh, a hope that's in vain. It's not saying that you had hopes. How many of you have had hopes disappointed? I have two. Maybe you had plans to travel by airline on 9-11, and that didn't happen. Plans change. Maybe you had hopes for a relationship, and there were disappointments. Maybe you had hopes for a promotion. Maybe you had hopes that things would work out better than they've worked out. Maybe you had hopes that your children would live a certain way. Maybe you had lots of hopes, but have hopes disappointed. And Peter is saying, listen, even in the midst of disappointed hopes, you have so much to live for. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, uh, he says, e- uh, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, yesterday in here, we had a memorial service for uh, a woman in our church who passed away from cancer uh, before Christmas. And uh, Walter, I know you're in here today. Um, Great to have you here. And it was amazing because at your wife's memorial service yesterday, literally over 20 people accepted Christ as Lord. Will you give that up for just that? That in the midst of awful circumstances, things that would seem to take our hope, God says, even out of loss, I'm in the business of bringing new life. And some of you are facing loss Financially, some of you are facing loss in terms of your family situation. Some of you are facing loss in terms of your health or loss in terms of your hope. I want you to know what Peter is telling you and I today is that the future starts now. You've got a living hope and a guaranteed inheritance. Don't stop. Even if things are changing, even if life is adjusting. Brian and Betsy, I know that you're moving to Idaho and we're happy for the conditions. That this is going to be great there and what God's going to do in and through you. We are going to miss you. We've loved you. Thank you for over a decade leading Celebrate Recovery at Sun Grove Church. We give that up for them. <laughs> Betsy, it's been a joy to work with you on staff. I love your laugh. Brian, your wisdom, your friendship. It's meant a lot. So thank you. And it's very cool that even when God brings a transition to life, it is toward a future hope. The future starts now. It's not later, and we have so much to live for. He says, you haven't seen him, yet you love him, though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And he's talking about what is the end result, the thing that God has been working for your good and my good all along, and that is the salvation of our souls. Difficulties mature our faith. So, well, God, can't it just be easy? Can't life just with you be just so much better? And and the truth is we're not exempt. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. These were people believing in the new life in Jesus Christ and were persecuted where months before they hadn't been. Difficulties mature us. What does mature us? Make us more like smug and knowledgeable? No. Mature means you now have spiritual muscle you didn't have to bear up under the weight of life. He matures our faith. He matures us. And we, when it's tough, though, we ask, right? When it's tough, we ask, why? Why, Lord? Why me? Why him? Why her? Why now? Why not later? Why couldn't we realize this? Why couldn't I have that? And we begin to ask the tough questions. Well, he says this, that these difficulties, they've come so that the proven genuineness of our faith may result in praise and glory and honor to God, to Jesus Christ when he's revealed. In other words, he's saying, listen, when you bear up under the duress of life, when you face experiences that are making your faith mature and grow, even though it's painful to us and it's hard for us, he's saying, listen, that that then results in praise that goes to God. It's not praise for you, like look at you. What a great, strong person you are. You, difficulties don't shake you. Difficulties don't shake you. You're not human. Or you're lying to yourself and everybody else. Difficulties shake us, but they can make us bitter or better, and we can grow and mature and become stronger. And what happens is... That results in praise and honor to God, that God enabled you and I to endure, that God enabled you to get through this hard season of life, that God came alongside and built you up at the time when it seemed like all hope was gone, all despair was available, and God replaced it, not with the ashes of Rome, but with a living hope in the midst of your tough circumstances. You and I can put up with anything if we know what we're going back to. Let's be honest. You know you can go through a hard sports practice if you know you get to rest afterwards. A a mom is going to go through the pains of labor, and she's going to be willing to, and she's going to bear down and endure it because there's a living hope. It's the hope of a child, the hope of a baby, and she's going to endure that for that hope. When I go out of the country or you go out of the country on a mission trip, you might walk into some of the darkest places in the world where there's sex trafficking, where there's absolute poverty, poverty that's so bad that these people, they can't go somewhere for food stamps. There's no social security. It literally is, if you're an untouchable and you can't make ends meet, you will starve to death. And nobody from another caste system in India is going to care. In fact, they think they're doing a disservice to help you because they think they're reversing the trend of what is willed in reincarnation. And so you have religious abuse, sociological abuse. You have physical and mental and emotional abuse. You have racism that runs rampant. And you and I can wade into any of the places in the world where those kind of things exist because you know what you're coming back to. You know you're going to come back to maybe your house. You know you're going to come back to America where some of those things don't exist. And any of us can put ourselves through something for a time if we know what we're coming back to. But you're going to grow through them. You're going to endure tough circumstances in your life because you have a bigger hope and you have a better future. So number four on your outline, with a guaranteed future, you can endure the setbacks, disappointments, and trials of life. You're willing to wade into the hard work. You're willing to let God grow spiritual muscles. You don't like the circumstances, but you have a hope that's alive. You have a hope that's forward. You have a hope that's living. You realize that the future starts right now. It's a good news. Does God promise freedom from troubles? That question's on your outline. It's not a trick question. The answer is no. You're like, we've lived life. We know the answer is no, Dave. That's right but also realize that God's peace is not dependent on circumstances. He specializes in impossible situations, right? Peter watched. He's saying, listen, I saw Jesus crucified, dead, buried. All of our hopes in the Messiah went crashing to the ground and were buried in the tomb. And the stone was rolled over and it was sealed and we fled for our lives and hid away. And then Sunday morning came. Then the resurrection. Then what was all, when all hope seemed to despair, hope was realized there was a living hope, a living Messiah, a living Jesus, a resurrected Christ. He's in the business of bringing dead things to life. You have a living hope. You have a life beyond this one. God's peace is not dependent on circumstances. It's available in good ones and bad ones. He specializes in impossible situations. Third, faith enables you to believe and to love Jesus, whom you cannot see, and to be filled with great joy. To be filled with great joy. Peter says this in verse 10. He said, concerning this salvation. So in other words, the salvation that the New Testament believers were realizing through faith in Christ by the way, that's the same salvation you realize or I realize through faith in Christ. So he's saying, concerning your, our salvation, right? Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and of the glories that would follow It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. What he's saying is this. You have a living hope that's looking forward, but I got to rewind. I got to rewind to the prophets. You know what the prophets did? they were, as they were being carried along by God's Holy Spirit, as they were writing these things down, they wanted to know. They were like, well, God, when? When is our future hope coming? When's the Messiah going to show up and restore all things? When is the Messiah going to come, this one that we've been revealed to us in prophecy that's also going to suffer? When's that going to happen? When does this stuff get realized? And they wanted to know. They were being obedient to God's spirit, but they were looking ahead, and they realized we are limited. We don't know, and we want to, and we're gonna ask God, God, would you tell us? And what God tells them is, no, you, in not knowing how it's all gonna turn out, in you not knowing exactly what it's gonna look like, you are serving God the future people who will put their faith and trust in Jesus, you are doing a spiritual service to them who will receive salvation. And they had to be content with that. Similarly, you and I ask the same questions. I mean, first of all, do you realize how fortunate we are? Because those Old Testament prophets, they didn't know. But here you are. You go, I can go get this book anywhere. I can download it on the internet. I can get it on an app. And by the way, I know who the Messiah is. It's Jesus. I know how he suffered. The Messiah had to suffer. And I know he was dead, buried, rose to new life. He offers salvation to those who put their faith and trust in what he did on the cross. You, You realize how fortunate we are? The Old Testament prophets couldn't see it. They didn't know. They didn't know the timeline. You go, I could give you the historical timeline. How fortunate we are, yet at the same time, are not we looking forward and saying, I don't know how it all works out. We're looking forward saying, Jesus, when when are you coming back? I'd love to know. Jesus, when will you renew all things? When is there a new heaven, a new earth? What will our inheritance in heaven actually be like? What's heaven gonna be like, have you ever wondered? And yet, what are we doing? Us not knowing and not seeing and having all the answers means we are still serving the good news of Jesus to those who will be saved and together we will see and together we will know and together we will be fully known and we will fully know as we are fully known in heaven. So why do we share the good news of Jesus? We're sharing the good news of Jesus in service to people who right now do not know the hope that's available to them but how beautiful that they would get to understand and receive Christ as Lord and get to know a heaven and an inheritance kept there for them. We are offering salvation through Christ to those who do not know him, even though we don't know how it all works out. Listen, the fact that God would offer salvation as a free gift to you through Jesus is more massive than you realize. You're not Jewish. I'm not Jewish. Potentially, you're not Jewish. But that God would offer salvation as a free gift to all people based on not your merit or my merit or your behavior or mine, but on the grace given through Jesus Christ by suffering on the cross, taking God's righteous wrath as God, taking his own wrath upon sin on himself, satisfying God's wrath so that we could be justified. Our sins could be washed away. Justified means just as if I never did it. How beautiful is that? Do you realize receiving salvation as a free gift because of Jesus is more massive than sometimes you think. And we forget and we take it for granted. And in the fear of hostility, sometimes we don't serve people around us with the good news. Peter's saying, wake up. You have a living hope. The future starts now. Number five on your outline says, salvation is so great that the angels long to catch a glimpse of it. It's so great. Hebrews 1.14 says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now, let me just draw a picture for you. The angels, they, they see salvation that it's so great. They long to just catch a glimpse of it. And, and part of their work and service is to those who are being saved. And it's a beautiful thing. But for them, it's very, very different. We were created by God, but angels were also created by God. And Satan, one of the angels, wanted to be like God. He knew he couldn't be God, but in his pride, in his arrogance, he said, I want the same type of leadership as God. And he rebelled against God. He got a third of the God's created angels who see God every day, who know God, he got a third of them to be deceived to follow in this uprising. And the scripture says that Satan fell like lightning from heaven, that he was cast out. And those fallen angels are what we consider demons. So we now have angels, those who continued through that uprising to be obedient to God, but we see the other angels, they had a one-strike rule, and they were cast down. Can you imagine? God, you created these people, and they sin a lot. They get proud. They want to be God of their own life. And not only that, but you love them so much that you satisfied your own righteous wrath against sin like any good judge would do. And you made salvation free for them. They get a second chance that washes them as white as snow. Their minds are blown. They're like, we just want to look at this. And they don't want to say, hey, God, by the way, I want to pull the unfair card. Um, How come we got one chance and they get a whole bunch? Why? Why? because they see God for who he is, and so you know what they do? They look and they go, unbelievable. How great are you, God, that you would offer grace to those who don't deserve it. You are, you are so great, and they lift God up, and they praise him, and they honor him, and their mind is just, in a sense, just they long to look into the future, they long to know how all things come together, and they, they do their work of ministering, and, and the scriptures say that when you and I get to heaven, a crazy thing happens that angels, even though they're more powerful than us and have certain abilities right now, that God allows those who put their faith and trust in Christ to actually, part of the work we do in heaven, is to rule over the angels. They're not bitter about it. They marvel at the goodness, the grace, the love of Almighty God. I want you to realize that your salvation is so great that even angels long to catch a glimpse of it. They've got a front row seat and they marvel at the goodness of God. Today, as we take some communion, it's just the Lord's table. It's not some Grove's table. It's where we remember that Jesus, God become flesh, as the Messiah offered his body to, be, to suffer for you and for me, and that his blood was poured out. It was poured out. It ran out of him. It's that picture of you and I being sprinkled by the blood of Christ. The only reason any of us would be righteous, the only reason any of us would be dedicated vessels to serve God and serve other people, future generations who would know about God, is because we've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Salvation is only through Christ, never through performance. And God's nearness to you and his availability to you is not based on your performance it's based on His love for you and that He does draw us to obey. Why? Because He just reveals more of Himself to you and I when we obey. God's calling you and some of you in this room you're realizing I've never received Jesus as Lord because communion is for those who've said I believe. I believe what Jesus did on the cross was done for me. It was done for my sin to wash me as white as snow and I am not having a faith, but I'm giving faith. You realize that faith is not something you have. It grows, but faith is something that you give. Just like when you endure circumstances and trials, that gives glory and honor to God. What do we do in our faith? God, you strengthen my faith, so guess what I do? I give you more honor, I give you more praise. I give you more glory because you walk me through difficult circumstances. So faith is something we give, and there are some of you in this room, you've never given faith to what Jesus did on the cross. You might have some beliefs, religious stuff, whatever. It doesn't save. The only thing it saves is when you and I say, God, out of your goodness, I'm gonna put my faith in what you did on the cross for the salvation of my soul. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. If, that, if that's you today saying, God, I want you to wash me as white as snow. God, I want forgiveness for my sin. I want to receive your offer of eternal life and inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for me. Then you do that by simply receiving, you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, you confess with your mouth, you receive him as Lord. What do we do? That's called prayer. So maybe you pray a prayer right like this, right where you're seated in your heart, God hears you. You just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life because you are God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow, to make me a new creation on the inside and give me your Holy Spirit to enable me to obey you. Because today, Jesus, I give you me. Jesus, we're so thankful for you. Even right now, believers, here's your moment of decision. You've already made the decision to be saved, but here's your moment. Here's what you're deciding today. Will you take a moment and put your hope in God? Where things have been hopeless in your life, will you say, God, I choose beyond my circumstances to put my hope in you. That I have a living hope. Father, be pleased right now that all over this room, people are dedicating this year and their future in the midst of their uncertainties and their intimidation and their difficulties, that they're choosing to have a living hope in you. God, we're so thankful that you gave your life for us. We want to do that by just dedicating ourselves to the remembrance of what you did on the cross through the sacrament that you called us to, called communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sungrove Podcast. For information on Sungrove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.